Hello and welcome to the, uh, this episode of the Cisco Technology Podcast. It's me, Justin Mullen, and me, Mark Jackson. Yay! Do you like the new jingle still? I love the new jingle. It's amazing, isn't it? It's all right, it's all right. I, I don't know where we'll put it at the end again, just if both. We're still waiting for feedback. Yeah, yeah, we're still waiting. We're good. Um, so what are we talking about today, mate? Don't look at me. We've got guests. Oh, yeah, we have. We have, we have, we have. We're talking um, secure again. So we've got um, Gareth Evans. See, and I put on my extra Welsh accent. I for somebody, <laughs> For somebody who's got a really Welsh name, but doesn't come from but Wales. So we got our uh, Cisco's uh, security advisor. Oh, go on, describe yourself. What do you do, Gareth? And then I'll introduce the next person next to you. <laughs> so professional, unprofessional. Well, thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, Gareth Evans. I run the incident response team for Cisco in EMEA. Super. We can't say this. Are we allowed to say the C word today? Yeah, we have to. We yeah, can, yeah. So that's cyber security incident response team, and we're yeah. joined by Richard. Dean. Hello, Richard Dean. Hello. I remembered your first name, can remember your second name. That's all right. Most people get them the wrong way around, and I get introduced as Dean many times. Oh, dear. Yeah. All right, okay. There we go. So what uh, do you do then, Richard? Uh, so I run the technical assurance bit of the security advisory services. Um, so the team that does uh, red teaming, pen testing, um, and a lot of technical pieces of work relating to security. So going in and identifying problems with systems, with networks, with uh, just companies in general. Okay, lovely. Um, and red teaming, we're going to explain that later on as well because it's uh, it's, not, it's a bit of an industry term, isn't it? Honestly. And we also have a guest executive producer in the room with no microphone, which is Ant. So I'm just going to shout really loudly <laughs> when I want to heckle. Do, do, and, and you are shouting very loudly, as I can tell on my earphones. But there we go. So, uh, yeah, Ant's been on a couple already. You were on the uh, IoT one. Um, we've done a... Yeah, we did the incident response one as well. Yeah, you were on. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, so, um, wonderful. So, we, we're here to talk about, um, again, I'm going to say the C word, sort of cybersecurity and how Cisco can help prevent you, prevent you from being attacked or help you. Help. Help. We can help. And, um, so, and, and I'm, trying, I'm trying to be slightly vague because I don't want to talk about what the guys are going to talk about. So, do you guys want to introduce first? Who wants to talk about what, what exactly what you do? Because we've done the incident response stuff and everyone should go back. If they haven't listened to that podcast, go back and listen to that one because that's a really good one. Uh, but what, So, Richard, do you want to introduce what you're... Okay. So, yeah, red teaming. This is basically what you were about to say before, which is helping people defend their networks but defending by performing the attacks ourselves. So we go in, we simulate what an adversary would do on that network to make sure that the blue team, so this is the incident response team or that the SOC team, can actually detect what's going on and are able to protect their network from that type of attack without actually going through a, a real-world um, attack where they've got people compromising and stealing data. So in effect, you sit on the opposite side of the table to uh, to Gareth, really. That is exactly <laughs> what we do, yeah. So before a customer, hopefully this would be something to think. So the customer will be thinking about going, right, they've seen all this stuff in the news and want to cry and Petcha, not Petcha, and all those things that are going on and be able to go, oh, right, I don't want this to happen to me. What can I do? How do I know if I'm ready? Is that where they give you a shout? So I think that's the sort of thing, yeah. So they will be sitting there thinking... I'm, I'm glad we didn't get hit. We we were okay. We were lucky this time around. But what happened? But how do you know, though? Um, oh. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you haven't got those tools in place to make sure that you can see whether you've been compromised. But we would go in and, uh, yeah, so a client that's sitting there that doesn't know if they've been attacked. Sorry, if they've been compromised, because I think everyone gets attacked. So they don't know if they've been compromised. 
we can go in and simulate an attack and see whether they spot it. Find out whether or not they've got things in place to be able to prevent an attack being successful. So is that that is that what the is that what the red team? No, that's not what the red team does. But that's what, is that red or blue team? So so the red team goes in and will simulate the attack. So we will go in and use the same tools, techniques, practices that a real life real life adversary would use. So a hacker would and you, exactly you, you'd simulate what a hacker does and come in and do yep. bad things. And then um, we would then tell them what we did, uh, the timeline of what we did, and then they will be able to go through and look at their logs, if they've got them in place, and work out if they should have been able to see it, um, why they didn't see it, and what they can do in future to uh, see these attacks and prevent these attacks from actually uh, compromising their network, stealing their data, or whatever the scenario is that that, that attacker was trying to achieve. Okay. And, and from the point of view of the other side of the table then, because we talked a lot about IR on, on a previous podcast with you, Gareth, you would sit as a blue team advisor to the customer, I guess. Is that is that where the blue team would come in? Yeah, so <clears throat> during uh, any sort of attack, whether it be simulated or otherwise, mm. um, you, you can have members of your organization who are trying to spot these types of attacks and, and, and see what's going on. The, the key thing with red teams um, and red team attacks and the way the blue teams interact with those scenarios is how do we help an organization spot those types of attacks coming through? Um, and if you pair up a red team and a blue team and work them together, then they can learn through the attacks themselves and, and learn through the scenarios that are thrown at them. So one of the... Uh, one of the interesting things about any form of, of malicious cyber attack um, is if it's a proper attack by you know people across the globe, there's no way of understanding what the thought process was behind behind the attack itself, um, attribution as to, to who did it and things like that and why they did it and how. Mm. Um, whereas with a red team, you have that at the end. You know, yeah. you, you have those scenarios laid out in front of you. This is what we did. This is how we got there, and, and this is what we achieved. Um, and also, if you've got a blue team working or consultants working with your blue team, your SOC analysts, your security analysts within your um, security operations center, then you can see um, you, you can have these consultants work through the scenarios and say, right, this is what is happening now. Can you spot it? Mm. If you can, then that's great. And if you can't, then you can coach those those teams and those individuals through the process mm. and say, look, that's what you should have spotted. This is how you spot it. These are the tools that you require to to spot these types of attacks. And then when it comes to a real world attack, hopefully you've got that skill and training and, and knowledge so yeah. you can you can spot it. And so on the red teaming side, how a lot of people on who are listening might think, well, what you described in terms of the sort of offensive simulated attacks um, just sounds like pen testing. Is, is there a difference between red teaming and sort of traditional pen testing? When we would do traditional pen testing, we wouldn't really be um, have specific scenarios in mind. So we would go in and maybe look at the whole of a network and tell uh, tell people about what vulnerabilities exist on those networks and what we can achieve with those vulnerabilities. When we're doing a red team, we would normally take a step back. So we would start that attack from the internet. So the first thing we do is try and work out how we breach the perimeter. And then once we've breached the perimeter, um, we would then stage the attacks from the inside and we'd go and try and uh, perform a, go and do something as set out in the scenarios. So when we when we say scenarios, this is something that we work with an organization to define in advance. So it might be if they're a financial organization, it might be transferring money out, 
Um, it might be getting access to their mergers and acquisitions database. It might be uh, breaching a, uh, their business network to a functional network, something with an OT, that they can actually see that they're supposed to have an air gap here and we were able to get onto a network which controls something that's mechanical that might cause problems with that. So there's many different scenarios that we can set out. And I think the key difference between when we're doing a red team and when we're just doing pen testing work is that the red team, we've got these scenarios. We're always working towards those scenarios and we report back about everything that we did to achieve the scenario, not necessarily all of the problems that exist on your network. So that's the difference between a, a, a pen test is, you mean, for example, if we think about I don't know, a government organization or a company will go, right, okay, we, we, a part of our regulation to guess. You mean, because I know in, in, to show in, in public sector uh, in the UK, every, every organization will have to have a pen test, wouldn't it? Yeah, a lot of systems will go through uh, what's called an IT health check and ITHC, uh, which is then performed under check, isn't it? Which is the, the CSU or NCSC scheme for anointing penetration testing organizations so a lot of systems before they go into live service or even annually will will go through these yeah because i know with, it, with a good check. yeah from a wi-fi perspective obviously that's yeah. that's my bit i get excited about um obviously security is number one there yeah. um is government organization rolled out new wi-fi and before it could go live they had to have it pen tested yeah. to make sure it was okay. so that's sort of so, yeah, so we, we, we'd look at that and we'd look at that solution and we'd, we'd work out what it did and we'd go and try and find all the vulnerabilities in it. So you're, you're looking for a very large and broad problem base yeah, within that Yeah, a bit more thing. broad brush then, exactly. isn't it? Yeah. Whereas um, in the red team, we might be saying something, um, it would be something we do in a pen test as well, but for a red team, you might set up the scenario as we've got two Wi-Fi's or we've got two networks here, we've got the guest network and we've got our corporate network. And because of the way the technology works is that they're the same APs, they're the same access points, but we've got networking which uh, separates the guest access from the, the corporate access. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, a scenario might be set up to say, if we're connected to the guest access, can we hop onto the corporate network? Yeah. Can we bridge between these two things and use the access that the company's giving to um, guests into their building to access their, their their corporate systems, get access to Active Directory, move further through that network and try and compromise things. Mm -hmm. So that, that would be kind of a red team scenario. And actually, that's sort of things that we have done in the past where the, the, the companies have had Wi-Fi. So you can sit in a car park outside an organization and then break into the wireless and then from that start staging your attacks through. So that would be, um, I, we haven't really talked about perimeter breaches. I've mentioned it once in the um, when I was talking before, but there would be a network-based thing over the internet. So we might be uh, directly attacking servers available over the internet. We might be sending emails in. We might be uh, getting, uh, phoning up, get, doing phishing and getting people to visit websites. But there also might be the physical side of it, which could be that we sit and we, we attack their wireless. So we're in the vicinity of the building or actually a physical attack where we walk up and do social engineering. So with, with kind of the red team, there are many different surface areas which we try and attack to try and get a foothold within the network. And then once we've got a foothold within that network, within that organization, we then go and try and complete the scenarios that have been uh, prearranged. Okay. Wow. Um, so we've talked about that. What's the difference between a pen test and, and, uh, and, and what you guys do from a red team perspective? So how do you work out with customers what the what they want to do. Do they already know? Or do they just say, like, come in and, and you recommend what the pen test or what the red teaming should be? With the scenarios, we would work very much with that organization. Sometimes they do have a good understanding of what 
they are concerned about. Um, other times they don't and they're looking for advice. So we've done quite a lot of work within the, the financial sector. So there's a, the Bank of England has put together a, a I've, um, it's, uh, the Bank of England put together CBEST. CBEST is uh, a thing where all of the financial institutions in the UK that are the critical national banking infrastructure have got to go through this red type teaming um, type attack. And when we're doing that, we're looking at what their key economic function is. So we need to go in and try and compromise that. So there are certain organisations that we've got a good understanding of what they do. They've got a good understanding of what they do. And we are able to easily come up with these scenarios. Other organisations that haven't really thought about it, that we do actually work with them and come up with the, the unique things that would be concerning. So that CBEST is an example of where a industry body is driving driving best behavior or best practice and you can come in and go right yeah we've so that's been made specific by the the industry body where other customers might not have that because it could be a sector that's not really governed in that way or has or deemed to have that sort of level of um a governing body you you then just work with them and say this is what we think we can do yeah exactly so there's um at the moment, there's a number of different um, governing bodies that are looking into CBEST type things. So the finances going across uh, in, in different areas, one in Hong Kong and Singapore. And also uh, there's one to do with uh, service providers. So looking at uh, service providers as opposed to financial institutions. And there is the, the scenarios are, are subtly different between those two. So at the moment, financials are doing quite a lot with the industry bodies. Um, but other other areas, other verticals in the markets are looking at this as a, a thing that they want to adopt because it is, as you said, a good practice to make yeah. sure that the defences that you've got in place are actually uh, exercised to make sure they do what you think they can do. Um, if they're on paper of being good, then they might not actually in a real-world situation achieve what they're supposed to do. Okay. And is, is there an equivalence... On the blue side, just thinking about it, because clearly you can develop these red team exercises and develop the scenario planning for those sorts of industries, but I've, I've not come across one where there's any sort of regulatory-based equivalence for ensuring that your IR or SOC capability is you know, effective. The, the, there's not really. Mm. Um, it, it's more it's more due to um, compliance that, mm. that people in SOCs and in incident response sort of progress. Um, from a industry sort of framework standpoint, so GDPR, for example, is a really big mm. thing. Everyone knows about it. Let's not bang on about it. However, well, do everybody know about it? <laughs> yeah, they what do. What does GDPR stand for? Well, Joe everyone knows paper. what it is. But no, no one knows what it's. Nobody really knows means. what it's going to be. <laughs> but yeah, the the compliance pieces were uh, what, what drives the the security operations centres, the incident response teams. So if you have to you know, declare that you have been breached within seventy two hours, then how are you going to do that? with the information that you have available and the idea is that if you've got a decent enough SOC team and information security team within your organization you should be able to spot that sort of stuff and when you can't then you're going to start getting nasty letters and emails from the ICO and, and, and places like that yeah, okay. saying hey give us that information now and you go well I don't have the people to do that um, mm. so that's that's what drives the the incident response bit I think one of the other things to say about the scenarios around red teaming is when we do incident response planning for organizations, one of the first questions we always ask is, what are you trying to protect? Mm-hmm. And if you are a financial organization, then it's financial transactions and the integrity of such. Um, if you are a 
power station, for example, and it's the operational technology or the, the ICS and the SCADA industrial control systems and things like that, then that's what you need to protect. Um, and from an IR point of view, we always ask that question when it comes to um, red team planning and things like that. It's the same question. So what do we want to achieve through this red team and, and how how do we get there? And then how did we get there? And then what could we do? The interesting thing when you say about what you want to protect, you mean, you, I don't know, maybe I'm just being naive, but you just, any, any don't laugh at me. <laughs> You're never naive, Justin. <laughs> I hate you, Mark Jackson. Um, when, when you talk, but the thing that comes to mind is the customer got, I want, oh, that might say everything. Or we don't know. Or Every, we don't know. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't know, but we just we want to pretend it. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, you could think about like a, a public sector organization. It could be a health board. It could be like, well, okay, you've got patients' records. You could have, you mean, it could be, you mean, you look at Monogry, the bloody, it was everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, from my side where I sit, it, it, actually getting to the root of that question is really, really hard often. Because mm. um, I wouldn't where, know the answer, innit? I mean, I, I can't well, think of an answer. You, well, if you're a health organization, you would assume the answer is patient data. But, but where is that patient data is probably a harder question to answer because it's probably in about 400 different systems spread across the, their organization. But then you could say, yeah, partners. but what happens if you, you could say, oh, okay, well, you need to, uh, our booking system or our, our appointment system, you lose that. HR, no, finance. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, it could be all of those things are just as important, well, not just as important, but all, they're all important. Mm. Well, you can start looking at these things from the, like an onion. So your network security should be many different layers to protect. And that you can say, even if you've not decided exactly what your key things are that people want to steal, you can start looking at the perimeter. So you look at what's internet facing. So what are the, those attack surfaces which are most likely to be attacked? So these are servers that are on the internet, things that are internet facing. As mm-hmm. I talked before, your uh, your staff, quite a lot of things that happen at the moment are uh, what what is the weakest link in the chain? And quite often the weakest link in the chain is humans. That if they haven't had security awareness training, then they're more vulnerable to, mm-hmm. uh, more susceptible to social engineering techniques. So even if you, you can't say, I know it's this server with this piece of information on it that is our crown jewels, we can say, well, what are the, the, the levels, what are these, um, these different um, layers of the onion which protect that from being compromised? And with the red team, we start on the outside and we start peeling away and we go further in. And each time we go in, we get a, we, we get a foothold within there and then we try and get further and we try and get further. Now, with the, the red team, it's quite interesting because you might fail. It might be that an organization that has really good controls between layer two and layer three of their, their onion. And so what we can do is we can stage that. So we can go in and say, let's say we did manage to compromise this piece, and then we go and start from that next set. So it could be that um, we end up simulating an attack by a rogue employee because that's, that's a scenario that might be of concern to some organizations. So instead of having to start the red team from the perimeter, we then start the red team from the point of view the of inside, someone, yeah, yeah, someone yeah. that's already got access to that network. So they've mm-hmm. already got user credentials, they've got an, a laptop, they've got access to a certain amount of data, but they probably shouldn't have access to the HR data, their M&A data, their, the healthcare record data. And then what can they do? What can they steal? What, what is able to be achieved from that, that okay. data? Just, just a, a question that's popped into my head, actually. In terms of those scenario planning, do you include... Or do you reflect the capability of an attacker? Because because clearly that you know capability and motivation is going to be a key factor in any attack scenario. But so, do you factor that into your planning? So um, if we go back to CBEST, one yeah. of the things that that um, that scheme was, it wasn't just a red team. Mm. Uh, you had uh, threat intelligence mm. in, in advance of that. So the threat intelligence provider would go through 
and would look at the uh, the people that were attacking you. So mm-hmm. look at exactly who your adversaries were. Mm-hmm. Look at the MO of those adversaries. Mm-hmm. So when um, we came to the the planning sessions with the financial organisations, we didn't we didn't just sit there and go, what is your um, crown jewels? What is your economic function that you want to protect? We were saying, who is it that's attacking it? Mm-hmm. What tools, techniques? tactics mm. are they actually using in the real world so you'd see the difference between something like WannaCry WannaCry drive-by attack yeah. um, that, that went in through like shoddy uh, perimeter security mm-hmm. old systems and, and things like that and so that's a fairly easy thing to simulate whereas if you're going to go and say it looks like the organization that you've got is targeted by a nation mm-hmm. state then go and simulating what a nation state does is a lot more complicated <laughs> your, your your tools become a lot more bespoke. Yeah. You've got to put a lot of development time into doing those things. Yeah, no, that's interesting. That's okay, really interesting. the bit I want to get to it, it, on on the whiteboard of planning <laughs> that we do, <laughs> but as examples, can you talk us through like a, a re, you mean no names, no patrols, but can you talk us through like a couple of real examples of where you've gone in and and you've done a red teaming, red red blue type situation? I, um, I can talk about a. Well, I've got one that's on the top of my mind, which is quite interesting because it's it starts with that physical security piece. So it was um, a number of years now where we were asked to go and look at this organization and, and look at them from both the physical side and from the networking side. And one, one of our guys um, turns up on, the, on the, their doorstep on the first day and they've got some barriers which weren't very effective about stopping people from being able to tailgate through. So he manages to get through the barriers and gets into that organization. So literally, uh, we're talking physically getting into a building. Li- literally walked in, followed someone through, got into that building. Um, walked himself around for a bit and uh, found a, a desk in a, a fairly empty uh, area of one of their floors and sat down and plugged in and just looked like he was supposed to be there. Um, he, he kind of walked around, spoke to a few people, and then um, one of the second guys turned up and they walked to security and f- said, I'm here to see, mentioned our guy's name, he's at this desk, can you give him a call please? So security then called our guy who's just found himself a desk confirm that both people are supposed to be in the building so the second i get the second guy then gets a guest pass for the building so now we've tailgated in for the first one but we've upgraded our access from tailgating to a guest pass so now we've got legitimate access to mm. this building the, the during that whole period the guy that was in the building had been doing a bit of networking attacks and managed to uh, locate on the network a system that controlled access the door access system basically he'd managed to compromise the door access system so upgraded the guest pass that we'd just been given to a god pass for the building so now not only do we have guest access no to this, this is like on a on a film it's awesome <laughs> we, this is like watching the machine impossible or something <laughs> like that isn't it? so it was quite it's quite nice dun, to be able to dun, walk dun, around dun. <laughs> sorry keep going <laughs> I'm gonna, i was gonna do the music <laughs> behind you nice no, it's it, you you kind of got a scene towards the end of this engagement where it is it's kind of mission impossible where um, one of the guys had gone with this guest pass and they'd, they'd, they'd managed to get onto another floor, which was easy because their badge opened all the doors and they got into the, secure, uh, the server room. So they were in there putting little uh, stickers on the servers to say that we got physical access to this stuff. And there was, a, there was a sliding door on one of their server cages and it was slightly broken, but we didn't know it was slightly broken. And that means it was a, a very difficult technique which you had to do to, to close it properly. So the guy went back to his desk, sat down on his desk and... Um, what was happening in the background is every five minutes there was an alert being sent to the security team to say that the cabinet door on this server rack had been left open. 
And so they went and investigated. They got a bit irritated that someone had done this again. So they then tried to work out who it was that had done it. And they came up to the team that was there and, and said to them, Look, have, you, have you been in the server room? And they kind of looked, well, I don't think so. We've, we've got, do, would our guest pass get us access to the server room? And they said, all right, yeah, no, don't worry about it. No. <laughs> then about 10 minutes later, uh, the same person stormed up, have, having watched the CCTV, pointed at our guy and said, no, it was you. I know it was you. At which point they, they put their hands up. They'd been compromised. They, the, the, they knew something was up. Luckily, our internal sponsor was close by. Um, they called out their code word, which was banana. And Seriously, then, it was banana? Banana was the code word for this. <laughs> And they did it in earshot of the internal sponsor who then um, closed down it and, and stopped any major incidents and things going on. But it, it went from a walking in through the front door, the uh, actually just tailgating through, to getting access to the badge system, to getting that physical access. And we, we were told that if we'd have found the right rooms, there would have been some collateral in there that would have been interesting had we tried to have stolen it. And that's, that's kind of the, the, the scenarios for these people where you, they, they were worried about the, the building. They were worried about the physical access to their building because they had quite a lot of um, collateral in that building. But they were also worried about uh, the networking. And during this engagement, we lasted for about four days on their, their, their floor wow. between when the original um, walk-in happened and then... So from the point that that... Because this all took about, in my head, that happened at about within half an hour or something like that. But obviously, they were there for four days. Four days. So, by yeah, actually, just, after uh, time, getting coffee, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that's what they kind of, they, they ended up, um, walked, they walked to one end of the building and um, they'd start talking to someone that they needed something from. And they would send one of the other guys to walk to someone else who they knew was important and say, hello, right, yeah, we're, um, we're working with an um, important person. You can see my colleague talking to them now. Um, can we have this thing? He said we can have this thing. And then they say, all right, yeah, yeah, that must be all right. So they give you the thing. So this, this, this is, we, we're kind of going off track, I think, because we're talking about a lot of the physical stuff. And the physical no, 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 stuff but it's, it's really interesting, interesting though, isn't it? But it's, yeah. it's, it's the thing of, you, 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 when we talk about, I mean, we talk to customers and they, t- we talk about like port security. Well, we, well, we mean, talk about cybersecurity as if it's just about the electronics. And yeah, actually, yeah, somebody coming from the easiest out from the to internet. compromise is exactly as rich you know, as I, I said, like, you're, you're saying, or, or the saying you nicked off the internet, is it's easier to, instead of trying to hack into somebody, just going up to threaten somebody with a hammer and say, give me your username and password. <laughs> My XKCD cartoon. Yeah. Yeah, the RSA 2048 bit, blah, blah, blah one. Yeah. It's a good slide, that. It is. It's all right. Yeah. Um, I do do watch your presentation. I know. It's rare. But I think that's really interesting. I mean, a couple of questions come out of that. I mean, one is, in terms of red teaming, how often is that physical? Because I find that stuff really fascinating. Um, How often is that physical access piece included? And then probably a follow-up question to Gareth is, you're talking about the blue teaming and, and obviously very much on the SOC analyst electronic side. Do you Is there an equivalent blue team process to monitor that kind of thing? Because clearly that's you know, sitting with a security guard who's watching a CCTV, you know, it's a little bit more tricky to do some of that, I guess. So I in, guess in, ter- in terms yeah. of the, the amount of times that we've done that, that is um, a small number of the engagements mm-hmm. which have had the physical side yeah. attached to it. And that, is that because the customers don't ask for it or you just... It's, it's a bit of a number of things. It's uh, Legally, it's a bit difficult because mm. there's just uh, the whole... Uh, if you... <laughs> Yeah, if you've ended up somewhere where you shouldn't be and people don't react correctly and instead of calling the internal security team, they call the police and the police turn up with guns, then that's not a nice situation to be in. 
and we putting, talked about guns at the last one. Didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 we did. And putting the team into a situation where that might happen is is difficult. Um, when you're sitting on the internet and you're you're attacking by sending emails, it's it's a lot easier. But then that's the interesting thing, though, isn't it? Is how the the whole the 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 security services are designed for physical security, not because if you because mm. the, the tone that I've just got from there was. I don't want to walk into somewhere, or we don't do it often because there's a risk that somebody goes, you're illegal, you're not supposed to be in here, I'm going to call the police, mm. and the police turn up, and it's like like guns are turning up and things like that. But you can quite happily do something totally illegal by sitting on the internet, mm-hmm. hacking in, and feel quite, you know, I'm not going to have a copper gun knocking on my door, is he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or are they? From or an, are from they? Well, you'd like to think they would how be. good you are. But from, yeah. from an incident response point of view as well, uh, the... You can look at the threat profile of, of an organization and, and who's attacking them. So the majority of attacks that we see day to day on organizations, major banking, financial institutions, things like that, or, or whatever industry it may be, it's usually criminal groups, criminal gangs who are financially motivated, who, again, just like Richard said, aren't willing to put their people into a building who may get captured mm. by police or, or, or whoever it may be. So... It, it's the threat appetite of the, uh, the risk appetite of the threat actors. Yeah. They're not really going to be Mission Impossible guys, like, yeah, yeah jumping out of buildings. Yeah, kind of climbing stuff, in yeah. through the air conditioning <laughs> system and all that sort of stuff and, and hanging from a thread, trying to get access to a computer. As much as you like to think that in your mind right now, you can imagine uh, something like Francisco going who does that. <laughs> That'd be awesome, yeah. wouldn't it? And when, when it comes to response um, for, a, for a cybersecurity attack, which has a physical element, the, the one part that has to be key within all of that is communication between the different parts of the business that mm. are dealing with security, whether that be information security or physical. Yeah. So if you have an incident response plan that states, you know, we're just going to look at the ones and zeros, the network traffic and all that sort of good stuff, and you have no interaction at all with... Uh, any of the other teams, so the physical security teams, the security guards, the HR teams, uh, public relations, uh, pu- public relations, and, and all the legal and compliance piece, then your incident response plan is gonna, just going to have a, a, a big hole in it. Mm. So, so that's whereas we we don't expect a SOC guy to sit looking at a CCTV no, no. camera, we expect him to be able to talk to the people that do mm. in order to correlate information between different sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, no, that's cool. I think something quite interesting that we see quite a lot of is that when we're going to organizations we try and do the easiest thing possible mm. we when we talked about uh, organized crime organized crime they may have zero days that they've spent a load of money creating um, which allows them to walk in but generally it's a lot easier than that so physical security the people that do it they're really quite talented and it's it's a, a lot um, we've got less of them in our organisation than we have the guys that are, that are good at the network security. Mm. So going in and simulating things using tools which are really quite um, low tech or fairly low tech in, in comparison to, to some, some types of attacks is, is where we're at. So instead of going in with a, a few hundred thousand dollars worth of zero days that you bought on the black market, you're going in and using some of the system, the, the, the tools that already exist on those systems. So we're start, starting on the perimeter and we're sending an email. We're sending an email which has got a Word document attached, which has a macro in it. And the person's received the macro Word document, they've opened it up, and we've got our command and control. We've got a foothold within that network. Mm-hmm. Sending an email is cheap. Um, writing a Word macro is cheap. And that's what happens when you don't have good security. So you look at the, the WannaCry attacks. It wasn't that 
there was many organisations and many of the organisations that, that, that we have been working with, they were more mature than to be caught out by these type of attacks, these drive-by attacks. You, you see the people that were that had got a lot of legacy systems, they hadn't gone through good cyber hygiene. The, the government with the cyber essentials, they're trying to make sure that you've you got a good perimeter security. Mm. And they're, they're looking at those things to try and cover off those really low-hanging fruit. And when we work with organizations, we see sometimes that they do have these low-hanging fruits still, still there, ready to be picked, and just sending an email to the right person gets you a foothold on the right system. And that's, that's where we work from. And I think that's kind of interesting seeing the, the tools that we're using compared to stuff that you can buy and, and stuff like worries, worrying things that people sell on the internet. Whereas quite a lot of the times in the organizations we've been working with, there are easier ways in. And it's, it's all about those easy ways in. I think that's, yeah, yeah. I, it's a really interesting point because it's something I, I stress every time I talk about security is that we often, I often find that customers are worrying about the wrong thing and they'll obsess about what level of crypto am I using on this link and, you know, I really need the shiniest IPS god box possible, but yet your patch management is a load of rubbish and none of your tra- your staff are trained. And, and I get back to that point and that's where the XKCD cartoon comes in, which is the, how am I going to crack RSA 2048 bit? And the next picture is, well, I've got a $5 wrench and I'm just going to hit you over the head until you give me your password. Because I remember an, uh, a briefing from a, a, a security event I went to and the guy, you know, was talking about advanced persistent threat and this unfortunate marketing that goes around APTs and the fact that we're all being, you know, kind of hit every day by foreign state actors. And yet he said, well, yeah, there are advanced persistent threats, but 99 times over 100, you don't need to be that advanced. You don't have to be that persistent to get in because it's really quite easy in most cases. And I I think that's a really interesting point to call out that it doesn't have to be that sophisticated often. Yeah, the the majority of incidents that we deal with are are dealing with, you know, organized crime groups or, or, or small teams of individuals who are just after money mm. um, and they don't use you know the next generation no. of, of the zero day they're just going hey can you go to this link or <laughs> hey can we can we just get through this wordpress plugin yeah. and, and mash your sign up done yeah. i think there's a, there's a bit of uh, reconnaissance that goes in so it's not necessarily just the mm. the digital profile of the company but what's happening physically around that company so i know there's talking about war stories again mm. talking about how perimeter breaches happen that we uh, were working for an organization and we realized that around one of their he- the main headquarters, there was a lot of roadworks happening and they were constantly b- being barraged with emails from the, the people in the local area either saying, we don't like this roadwork that's going on or do you want to, uh, you need to agree to these things. And so we just kind of got on the back of that. We, we set up something that was looked like it was a group for the local area and what was happening with these, these road um, rerouting and got it there and people started visiting our websites mm-hmm. And so there would be a couple of ways in that would normally fairly easy ways in uh, booby trap websites. Mm-hmm. So they come and uh, visit. We are able to fingerprint the browsers and then work out if there's any vulnerabilities in those browsers where which we can then compromise the browser and get a foothold within the network or um, by just sending those emails. So sending the emails with those attachments. Mm-hmm. And so if you're talking about protecting an organization, looking at your perimeter is probably the, the first place that you should look at. Firstly, making sure that you've got good cyber hygiene on your perimeter. You're not exposing things that you don't expect to, that everything there is supposed to be there. So there's a number of times we've looked at organizations and we've seen they've got loads of websites on their perimeter, which generally websites, they need to be on the internet if they're they're public facing things. But you notice that one of those is a HR application and there's no reason why your HR application should be on your perimeter. So someone's made a mistake there. But it's, it's a fairly easy thing to look at. You can look at the, the, the hygiene of the perimeter. 
And then the second thing is the uh, what comes in and goes out of your network. The vast majority of people are going to need to access the, um, the the World Wide Web, so browsing, and also going to get email. So you look at those two pieces, and you've got good protection in place with with proxies, so that you're doing inspection on what's coming through your perimeter in terms of the the World Wide Web, and also looking at emails, making sure that they're sanitized. And by having good perimeter security, good email security, good web browsing security, then you, you cut off quite a lot of those low-hanging fruits. And the, the avenues of attack for the red team, we start getting cleverer. We start using more advanced techniques. We start evading what we've got. So by going in and sending a certain type of email, we can identify whether or not it got through. And we can, from that, start fingerprinting what protections you might have in place. Certain technologies, I know Cisco's got um, technologies, there's other vendors that have technologies that when um, pieces of software arrive through the perimeter, it goes and runs them, runs them in a sandbox to, to make sure that they're, they're okay. We've seen when we're, we're starting to get into organizations that have these technologies in place, that um, we can identify when it's been run in a sandbox by one of these, these vendors. And so we can easily say, ah, right, we now know you've got this technology in place on your perimeter. So we're going to do this thing to try and evade what it is trying to do. So this, this is quite a lot of um, this first stage, which is the, the reconnaissance stage, mm. and going through and, and making sure you've got a good understanding of who, of who your, your adversary is. Mm. Uh, sorry, well, from an, yeah. a, a red team point of view, the adversary is the yes. organization, but yeah. from the organization, the red team. And uh, it goes back to something that we were, we were talking about uh, before when we were looking at the, the kind of profiling that organization and making sure that you've got a good understanding of, of what they do. Mm. And the organizations we've worked with when we're doing this type of uh, testing, when they've been really open with us, when they've talked about the technology they've got in place, when they've been really free about the information and what the scenarios are, then they're the ones that have been... Um, uh, reacted the best they're the ones that have been best at defending they're the ones that their blue team have spotted the attacks mm-hmm. it's been really uh, there's been quite a good correlation between organizations that are open and upfront when you're trying to uh, set up the scenarios and perform one of these uh, one of these types of tests versus organizations which are really quite closed now that's quite significant because if you've got an industry body that's saying organization you need to have one of these tests they can close up quite a lot and say, right, the, the Bank of England's told me to have a CBEST assessment, but I don't really want one. Um, so I'm going to make it really awkward for all the vendors um, to actually do the work. And I'm hopefully going to minimize the attack profile that I've got because I've given them less information. And it's, it's, it's people like that that we found are the worst. And they're, they're trying to cover things up. Whereas people that have been, all right, what, what do you want to know? Uh, yeah, we use this. We've got this with software and gives us versions and, and gives us loads of good information, which actually reduces our time scales down of the reconnaissance mm. phase, making it cheaper for them. But also, they don't care because it, it, security through obscurity isn't a good way to have security. That just being able to defend by saying, well, you don't know the version of my browser. You don't know what technology yeah. I've got on my perimeter. It's not a good way to defend knowing that you've got these onion layers and you've got a defense after defense after defense, making sure that those are adaptive and improving, that's where you need to be defend your network. Mm. And that's where the red team comes in because we're, we're, we're testing everything together. We're, we're not just saying, does this technology work? Does this thing work? We're trying to make sure that the whole piece that you've got in place to protect your, your crown jewels, your organization, is working in conjunction. So the technologies are actually protecting the, the, the networks. And the blue team sitting there, so the SOC, the analysts that are looking at the, the alerts that are coming from those systems are on their toes, that they've got good run books, they know what's going on. Because without both of those pieces in place, then it's fairly easy to walk in, 
steal things and walk back out. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone talks about people, process, and technology. Um, and it, people, it, policy, and process. Different language. Wow. Yeah. Depends <laughs> where you live. That's what, that's, what, that's what you told me, I Mark. Did. Yeah, people, process, technology. No, you didn't. You said policy. people, policy, and process. Policy. Yeah. Let's not have an yeah. argument online. No. <laughs> so the... Uh, the people process technology bit is, you know, if you've got these these security layers of, of uh, the security onion sort of, uh, and you're trying to work your way through them, um, then each each layer of that onion needs to be um, uh, ha- have multiple components, and it, it's not just technology. So, in terms of um, breaching an organisation and doing the, the reconnaissance uh, and getting something through those systems and identifying if they have sandboxes or if they have email filtering and all sorts of good stuff. And that's great, right? The technology can do that for you, but as as Richard pointed out, there's ways past that, and, and there's ways to there's ways to enumerate what what types of systems are in place, and then how do we get past that? And, and then once you're through, then you're through, and then it, it moves on through the kill chain. The the key thing from a blue team point of view is being able to have the process and the people in place to be able to spot these things as they happen. So. Rich's team throws through a Word Word document with a macro, and it hits a sandbox, and it, and it runs. Or maybe the the spam email, you know, or the phishing email gets through to an individual within the organisation, and they spot it, mm. and they go, "Hey, this looks a bit strange," and they fire it off to the security team and say, "Hey, can you look at this for me?" If you don't have the process in place for someone to receive that potentially malicious email, to go through it, have a look at it, and identify, you know, well, what's this trying to do? Um, who do I need to contact about blocking this? Uh, you know the process in place and the people who are actually involved in the investigation of these things. Then you're always going to fail. Just having technology in place just, just yeah, isn't going. Like to we always say, you know, you can just can't stick a bunch of firewalls and a bunch of all this stuff, stuff no. and just think I'm all right now. That's well, that, it. I'm the, done. Num- the number of customers I know of who, who've you know been attacked, they'll go out and buy an IPS and think that that's going to help them, but yeah. they don't staff. They don't build process and policy around what they're going to do with it they just think need but, to buy but this is, is this all then this all people people policy people pro process technology this whatever um <laughs> this is what you guys will be coming back as part of the report going well you need from the blue team you would you'd spot the process you the red team guys will be going in and doing all the, the, the sneaky stuff getting in and then peeling back the layers of the onion and you guys will be watching there going right so in the report back you're going to get both sides of the both sides of the... I don't know. I think I'm trying to think of both well, sides. Yeah, you get both sides of the coin, don't you? Yeah, you kind that's, of get that's, the, that's you get, what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. So what we do is we will... Uh, the report comes in a number of different uh, sections and we will talk about what we did and what we achieved. So talking about all of the, the routes through the network and whether we were able to uh, complete the scenario setup. And we'll also produce something which will be a timeline. And the timeline will talk about exactly when we did something. We do that and uh, we present that and we work with the, the client's blue team to, to go through this thing here, did you detect it? Should you have detected it? Um, did you react correctly? And then it is an aligned piece to, to make sure that we are showing them not just what we did, but when we did it, and then working for them, working with them of how they should have detected it. If, they, if it's something that they weren't expecting to detect, then that's when we talk about new technologies, we talk about making sure that their their logging is better, that maybe they need endpoint protection, maybe they need east-west monitoring, maybe they need just to switch on um, some kind of uh, logging from their firewalls. If they're in a position where they think they did detect it, but they just didn't react, then that's when we work with them on their runbooks. So they know if this alert comes in, then we can produce a, uh, a guide for you to say, if this thing happens, 
then do this next thing. So yeah, it's, it's all about going in there and working out what they've got and what they do next to evolve. So there's a whole maturity piece where if, we, if we're talking about red teaming, then an organization that has a red team and gets the best from a red team exercise is someone that's, that's fairly mature in the first place walking into a network which without any perimeter controls, that they've got bad hygiene on their perimeter, they've got no logging, they've got no monitoring, they've certainly not got a, a SOC, they've certainly not got a blue team in place. It's really easy for us to win. And the value of us winning like that um, isn't very high. It would probably be a lot better for us to go in and, and talk to them a bit more and work out, well, what can we do to fix your perimeter security first? Then what can we do to sort out your patching policy? What can we do to help you build up to you're at a certain level where we know we've got those fundamental things in place. And when you've got those fundamental things in place, you want to exercise them to make sure that they, the technology is reacting like it should do. And the people re are reacting like it mm -hmm. should do. So when you talked about a customer having their own blue team, does that, is that what a SOC is? Or, or what, what is a customer's blue team? Yeah, so it, it, it's essentially an information security or security operations center sort of team of, of security analysts who are... Who, looking for these sorts of attacks that are coming in, uh, identifying them, um, detecting, and then responding. Um, so it, a blue team would be responsible for the day-to-day -day monitoring and reaction to any incidents or, or attacks. That so, we, so when you do this, you, if the customer might already have a blue team, but your blue team, the Cisco blue team, will be monitoring the customer's blue team. Yeah, so, so in, in terms of a red versus blue team sort of engagement, what we would look to do is simulate an attack through the red team, have them conduct the scenarios against the organization and see how far they could get, what goals they could achieve. From a blue team perspective, we would have consultants sat on the shoulders of, uh, of, of the organization's blue team saying, with a full view of what's going on in mm -hmm. the background, whereas the, the organization's security team wouldn't know in advance what was happening. So they wouldn't know that what type of attacks were coming at them and things like that. So what we would do is sit on the shoulder and go, okay, what have you spotted? So, okay, we've spotted this malicious email come in. Oh, we've seen this strange web traffic to a domain that uh, looks a bit odd. Um, okay, what are you going to do next? And uh, we watch them and, and we see what they do. Now, if they conduct all the right actions and they get to the you know the ultimate goal, which is going to be catching the red team, then that's great. But usually that's not going to happen because our red teams are pretty good and they're going to get through somewhere or the other. With knowledge of the scenarios uh, and sitting on the shoulders of the of the organisation themselves, right? Whose phone's that? Whose <laughs> phone's that? I'm, on, I'm I'm not me. Somebody's phone's ringing. <laughs> I haven't heard one of those d -d 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 for a long time. <laughs> Told you, all phones off. My phone's off. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Anyway, yeah, carry on, Gareth. Sorry. So, so where we're, where we're we're sat with a blue team and, and, and these scenarios are coming through and what we can do is we can coach them through the various stages. So did you spot that malicious domain or, or that, that, that strange domain that web traffic was going out to? Did you spot that email? Did you spot the, the macro running in your sandbox that you've, you've got up and running and the alerts that are coming through? Yes, we did spot it. Okay, what did you do about it? What, how did you gather other information from various different sources and correlate that together? Did you have a run book for that sort of process? Yes, we did, and we, we found, you know, we, we found something malicious hitting this endpoint. Okay, now what do you do? How do you control that endpoint's access to the network? Can you automatically remove it using things such as like TrustSec or or whatever sort of access mm -hmm. management controls you, you may have? No, we don't have that. Okay, so there's a recommendation. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe that's that, that's the next stage in your maturity 
um, as, a, as a security team. Um, okay, so you've spotted it, you've found the device, now what are you going to do? Right, our process is to take that device off the network. Brilliant. Okay, so you go out, can you identify where that device is within the organization? No, we can't. Okay, so there's another recommendation. How do we identify? And one thing that most organizations cannot do is tell me what floor and what desk a device is on. And people just can't do it. So you I just see Justin's the... eyes light up because location awareness and... Well, it's, it's all about the network, isn't it? It's all about it? the network. It's all about the network. I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll tell you what port it's on. We can tell you what floor they're on. Yeah, yeah. So, so getting... Bye, Cisco. <laughs> Sorry, subliminal messaging again. No, but okay, carry on, Gareth. So, so getting to that point where you, you found the endpoint, then what do you do next? So where, where's the response? What is the investigation process? Where can you do the, the forensics on the device to see what actually happened? Because usually you're going to get these alerts through and it's not typically going to be in real time. You know, you, you're going you're gonna to be reacting to something. Um, but it's that cutting down that time to detection and time to reaction is the, the key bit around soft maturity and how you, how you develop that. Yeah, yeah, because that's the thing when we talk, when we talk about you mean we, the, the, the process of an attack and all the different elements and the spot in it, but then it's how quickly. I mean, we talk about both, but I don't know, we like to talk about before, during, and after, or has that moved on as a new thing? But I mean, uh, what yeah, do you set up beforehand? Right. What happens? What, what do you spot while you're during, and how do you then solve, recover. recover from it and, yeah. and afterwards, and those sort of things? So. Yeah. We think about that from a network perspective, or, the, or when the story that we go and talk to about, you mm. mean the Cisco network and that sort of stuff. Time to detect, time to recover. Yeah, it's, it's time all, to remediate, as in how quickly do you yeah. get that person detected and kick him off the network or, or whatever. And, and it's quite hard because I've spoken to customers and taken all. Oh, yeah, we 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 had a, a website compromised, and it took them two weeks to go through the logs to go and work out mm. f- from the IP address which actual machines, were, and then they're still phoning them up going. Right, your laptop. You need to come into IT. Turn it off and come into IT to get it fixed, because it's been you've got a virus on there. So it's it's um, it's a huge it's a huge part of that, and and, and being able to work out how to get that time down to co- as quickly as possible is, yeah. is 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 really interesting, isn't it? Um, how do you mean? I think we've covered most of the things we need to talk about. I mean, you mean we've got tools there? Do we need to talk about what tools? We can Ooh. talk a bit about tools, and I think that's an interesting thing about the uh, just using this. As in, as in, what tools do, do you guys use? Yep. So the tools that we use, it's about this minimum level. So we will uh, generally, as I talked about before, one of the tools would be an email server. So we can send an email in, and then we can use Word and macros in Word. And we will use something um, something like Metasploit. So Metasploit is an open source piece of software which allows uh, lots of vulnerabilities to be exploited and also command and control. Um, that's, that's a really cheap option. It's a free option. And many people don't detect it. There's, there's no point in going for something more expensive and more, something more uh, bespoke if the first thing's not detected. So basically using... Open source, free software, really simple and easy. Email, having an email server running on your, just yeah. to send emails in, mm. nice and simple and easy. If you know what you're doing, that is. Yeah. Um, but so, you don't have to spend millions or thousands of dollars on sophisticated equipment when the basic stuff out there will do. And then you you go from that. So you've you've managed to get a foothold on the network because someone's opened this word document. And then what was the next thing as an attacker that we try? Well we can go and try and use a vulnerability and try and attack something by scanning the network and do those things. Or um, we can start looking at what access that user has. So utilizing that user's access to the network. And generally, uh, we find things that shouldn't be there. We found um, SMB shares, so network shares, which have got files in it, which have got passwords. And so we then go from a a small foothold of a specific user. Um, We can then use the, the passwords 
to elevate our privileges, elevate our access, then move from there on to, to further targets. And the last few of these that we've done, we haven't really needed to do really complicated things. We've used the tools that exist on those systems. So using PowerShell to go through and use the credentials that we've got to access um, servers and systems that we shouldn't have access to is, is something that is really quite difficult for the, the, the blue team to detect. Detecting that we put a, a piece of software onto this um, onto this server, you've got something like AMP um, for Endpoint, where it can detect that something malicious has arrived here. But if you're utilizing PowerShell, which already exists, that's difficult to detect. Especially if you're mimicking the behavior of the systems that already exist in that network, then your east-west detection, your, your network um, analysis, there's not really an anom anomalies in that. So when we're doing this in a, you, you can kind of look at it, we're doing it in the most clever way possible because we're mimicking the, the standard operating behavior of the systems that are under attack. The closer that we can be to that operating behavior, the less likely the blue team are to detect. When we do this, we would normally go in and we'll be as clever and as stealthy as we um, can be. And we'll generally succeed. We will achieve the, some of the things, not if not all of the things that we need to achieve. And then we'll start taking a, a step back. So we'll start being a bit more noisy. We'll start making mistakes. We'll start um, putting software onto servers that we shouldn't do. We'll start doing password brute force attacks that lock out accounts. Things that not only the, the security operating sector um, center would spot, but also the network operation center, the, the IT teams, they notice that a load of users' accounts have been locked out. There's indicators in there that something's going on in that network. So is it like you've basically, you've, you've used some of these simple tools to break in, you're in, you're on the network, nobody spotted you, no one's doing anything, to, to, you're not, there's no There's no technology trying to stop you or, or process being caused, so you're just going to, I'm going to make a bit of a noise now. Yep, Try and be spotted. Exactly. So work Turn out the volume where, up. where the blue team is, they start detecting and they start um, uh, kicking out, which is when we, we kind of look at this um, this timeline and say, right, we did all these things, we compromised your Active Directory um, within a day of being in your network, you didn't detect any of that. We then came in and we did it a bit more noisily and we did it again and we did it again up until the point where either we run out of time or the blue team go, actually, I can see where you are. I, I know you're there. It's a bit like hide and seek, isn't it? <laughs> it is hide and seek and then somebody can't find you and then you end up standing up and waving and going, I'm over here. <laughs> hide and seek with a four-year-old where they get bored and start shouting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can see you've I, done I that. Love, very I, love, yeah, yeah. I love the analogy there. So Richard and, and you know, he's, he's basically... You know, taking you down to you play hide and seek all day. <laughs> I didn't say they did that, but it is that thing of when you play hide and seek, nobody can find yeah, you, and then you yeah. start wandering around I'm, going, somebody can find me, I'm yeah, bored yeah, now. I'm bored now. From, oh. a, from a blue team maturity point of view, the, the ideal scenario is that we catch the guys right at the very beginning. Mm. Okay, so they've came in, they've done something, they, they've gained a foothold. Like, hopefully, we can stop them before that happens, right? And that's when you're, you're super secure and, mm. and super mature. Um, Typically, that's not going to happen. So we need to spot it as, as early as we can as this detection and response time mm. that, that we need to reduce. The the thing that Richard mentioned there about using PowerShell and, and system tools that already exist and, and using processes that actually already happen within an organization, that's extremely hard for a blue team to spot. Um, unless you have a level of, or a baseline of your organization and understand, right, this is normal behavior. When we start seeing PowerShell being run from certain locations within the business or by certain users who shouldn't really be using it, um, you know, you're not an administrator, you shouldn't be running PS exec, you know, all these sorts of good things, then then you can start alerting on those things or, or informing other teams and saying, hey, this doesn't look normal, let's investigate further. Um, so having that baseline is great. 
and it's understanding your organization and, and, and the way that it works. So throwing technology at a problem like that just isn't going to happen, isn't going to work because what what system's going to alert you to PowerShell unless you know you specifically configured it to say, well, tell me when PowerShell runs, who am I? You know, for example, which is something that is, uh, an attacker is typically going to do. So that raising that maturity level of the blue team is part of this red blue team piece. So when they don't start spotting these these initial attacks, they say, well, have you looked here? And just give them a quick nudge and say, hey, maybe you want to look at that log or. Or maybe you identify that that log doesn't actually exist. So they would never have spotted it. So then it's a case of, well, how are you going to change that? How are you going to change that culture and that concept within the business? You know, well, we're going to put Sysmon on, on all the Windows endpoints and then we're going to see the, the PowerShell command line you know, attribute uh, uh, and the arguments that are on. So yeah, it's, it's all about bringing that maturity level up. And whereas the red team is you know, attacking, from a very mature sort of mm. perspective and then bringing it down and getting noisier and noisier. The idea from the blue team is we really want to be up there first and then, you know, as it gets noisier, it's just really easy mm. to spot. We, we, don't, mm-hmm. we shouldn't be worried about it. That should be automated um, and it should just be dealt with mm. as a business as usual sort of um, situation. And something interesting that Gareth said there was talking about how the technology um, interplays with the people and the, the services. So Cisco's doing quite a good job at the moment with technology. We've got a lot of products which are helping um, detect these uh, different attacks that are going on. And the, the team that I work for, so the team that Gareth works for as well, we're this um, advanced services. So we are not just looking at how the technology can help solve these problems, but we're working with the people. We're working with processes. We're making sure that these uh, technologies that the clients that buy them get the best out of them and that they're able to detect them. Most of them at the moment are um, they're, they're, they're adapting. So things like um, Umbrella, so OpenDNS, where it is looking at the threat intelligence that it's stopping and helping to stop more. So it, it by detecting more, it's more able to adapt and improve. The same way with the stuff that happens on your perimeter. So the, the FTD, the firepower devices, they're getting updates and they're making sure that they are doing good things to detect attacks. If you stop those feeds coming into those devices, then they're, they're, as, um, they're at their last point. So they've stopped um, any further attacks. Uh, sorry, they've stopped getting updates that will prevent attacks that are happening at the moment. And this is this kind of where you, you look at Cisco as an organization and go, well, we can give you the technology and we can help you with that. We can actually help you put it in place. We can help you um, mature your policies, your practices. We can make sure that actually you're getting the best out of this and that we're assuring you it's actually working. So by going back to the red team theme again, that an organization that's got a lot of this kit in place and that they've got a, a, a piece of paper that says, yeah, we've got all of the latest technologies and we're really, really good uh, because we've got a piece of paper that says our maturity in all of these areas is really high, then does that actually stack up against a real world adversary? There's an organization we've just recently done, done a red team for, and they were in that situation. They'd gone with one of the big four, and they were doing this type of paper-based maturity exercise, and they've been doing it for, for many years. And they said, yeah, we're, we're quite good, and we're there. And you've got the, the CISO, who was just new into that organization and, and didn't really, he knew he got this bit of paper that was told him to him that, uh, that, it, that we're in a good state, but he wanted to go and find out, actually, are we in a good state? So he got our red team to go and do that and blew them completely out of the water that they were used to having this really good report come back from an accounting firm to say, you are in a good state with your cybersecurity, and then have the report come from us and say, we're actually able to achieve all the things that you were concerned that we we would be able to achieve. 
we were able to um, jump air-gapped networks. So things that were supposed to be completely separated, so a, a pr- compromising the business network and then getting over to their, their operational technology network, so the network where it actually controls the, the, the main bits of their business, we were able to get over to there. We were able to do it from the internet, so go in and then control these things, which they were really concerned about. And then that, that's kind of looking at the, the, the bigger picture, as Gareth said, it's not just about the technology. It's not just about having the, the people and policies in place. It's about assuring that those things are doing what they're supposed to do when they actually are required to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's where the red teaming piece comes in, that you are testing people, practices, the technology in place, simulating a real-world adversary to make sure that it functions like you expect it to. So what's the feedback that you get? after you've gone into a customer and, and you've, for example, like that one you just talked about, so they've done a paperwork exercise and they've been great for years. Look at us, we've got five stars, we're great. And then the new CISO comes in, does a test. So what's, what's the type of feedback do you get from customers? You mean? So what Justin's asking is, have you ever made anybody cry? <laughs> Only because we talked about crying on the last yeah. one. I, I can say that the people have got to the point where um, it looks like they're about to cry, um, but they're, 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 they're... But why would they cry? But why, you mean? So you, you've kind of got a, a number of number of different reasons as to why people have gone for these type of tests in the first place. The, you, you, in the scenario I've talked about, CISO wasn't confident and wanted to uh, get some more budget to actually secure the network. So he's come in and he's got this um, he's got this report that says it isn't as good as you think it is. And then he's been able to show the board and say, look, I need some more money. We need, I, I thought these things were problematic, so we should fix this and we should fix this. And they've got a, they've got a plan. So it's like now. you're providing them with evidence. Exactly. There. And Hard evidence. He's, he was really happy because his suspicions were uh, found to be true because we were able to do the things that they were concerned about. Other people, um, as I talked about before, when, when it's a, an, an industry body that's told them to do something and they're quite closed up, then that's when it starts getting um, concerning for them that they're, they're, they're maybe, they've been telling the board that their network's really secure for the last 12 months or two years or 24 months or however long. And it turns out that under attack, it didn't survive very well. And they're concerned for their own job. Mm-hmm. They're potentially, uh, they're concerned for their, their livelihood. So they get quite defensive. And that's that's when you, you, you kind of, you can see people... Um, just coming to the realization that yeah, it's 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 a bit of a shoddy state. It's not in a good state, um, and that's when those little red eyes started to come out. And the it's water. It's criticism at the end of the day, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's, yeah, nobody likes that. Someone coming into an IT team and saying, "Hey, by the way, you're not doing your job as good as you could do." Yeah. Um, and and some of them are just going to hate it, um, but some of them are going to some of them are going to want it. You know, some of them are going to want to improve um, and want to be better than they currently are. And it's not always bad news because we, we, we do actually say you did detect this. So it could be that if we're talking about an organization that um, on a maturity level, they're, they're kind of somewhere where they don't think they're going to get targeted by a nation state. They're pretty concerned about their, their sensitive user information, but they're not a prime target. They're not really someone that's in the media, not someone that's going to be um, targeted by uh, uh, cyber criminals. So they're, they're quite comfortable with being a... a a middle, medium to high um, cybersecurity um, maturity. And for those people going in and writing a report and saying, look, we simulated a drive-by attack like WannaCry. You detected it. You were great. Uh, we simulated a cyber criminal and you also detected it. We uh, then simulated a nation stake hacktivist, a nation, more well, hacktivist and then a, uh, a criminal. But then we simulated the final one, which was the nation state. 
and you didn't detect it. And they go, oh, actually, that's great, because we're, we were concerned about drive-by, we're concerned about hacktivists, we're slightly concerned about uh, cyber criminals, but yeah, if a nation state wants to go after us, then then be, be our guest, but um, we don't really worry too much about that. So it, it's, we, we still succeeded. We give them the report, they say there's things to improve, but actually they're, they're quite happy with it, how, how, how well they did yeah, it. Yeah, against their kind of threat and risk yeah. profile, exactly. there's no point throwing more money at it because it's just not, it's not, not worth it. We, we were talking earlier about, you know, why don't we just protect everything? Mm. Why don't we try to protect everything? And if we all really think about it, we all know why we don't protect <laughs> everything. It's because we mm. haven't got the money. Right? Yeah. We haven't got the money, we haven't got the people, we haven't got the time. So uh, part of you know red teams and, and blue teams and, and these sorts of assessments is establishing where your you know where your crown jewels are you know how you want to protect them the best but also you know, where can you focus your resources to ensure the the best value from your spend mm-hmm. or, or your investment in the security product so if you want to go and spend eight million pounds on you know the next generation of intrusion detection system that's great but if you've got one looking at it or, or the yeah, people looking yeah. at it are no good then then what what is the the point so let's identify where those those choke points are and where the best value can be made and the best outcomes can be uh, achieved and, and that's where you know attacking a network finding where those those choke points are those, those little those little gaps where things can get through also from a blue team point of view it's like where was your visibility gap where was your you know I wasn't even looking at my web proxy logs, so maybe I need something to correlate them together and have a look at them. Or I had no visibility whatsoever into my network traffic internally. So let's let's focus on on some investment in that sort of area. And that's okay. where I guess it comes back down to you know what we were talking about. Um, I think almost near the beginning, which is this is a this isn't a one hit. You know, a lot of people try to do security. And that's it. I've got to the end of the program, and that's it. I've done security now. And 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 of course, you'll know, and and we'll say actually, it is that life cycle. It's everything that you guys do and have talked about feeds back into then the next redesign, the next notch up in maturity, because attackers are always changing their techniques, the tools, and so on and so forth. So it's you know it's that cycle, right? Yeah, definitely. That when we're looking at what we did, that goes and feeds into what the the blue team do next, what the, the network defenses do next. Um, I know when we were, uh, we used to do quite a lot of pen testing work. So we came in for an acquisition, which was a boutique uh, consultancy uh, called Portcullis, and we did a lot of um, these type of engagements. And it was quite frustrating for us to, to see the companies that we were working with that weren't taking our advice on board, that maybe it was a regulator that said, you need to have a pen test. It was someone telling them, you, it's basically a tick box exercise for someone there. And you go and produce this report and you go back 12 months later. And 12 months later, they basically did two or three things from the report. And they're just in exactly the same state that you can walk in and that you can go and steal things, like physically go and steal things. We, we, we did once. <laughs> um, it, was the, uh, it was a shipping warehouse, and they, were, they, were, they said, oh, no, you, you won't be able to get anything out of this warehouse because we've got, um, we've got a, a magnet, a metal detectors on the door, so there's no way you can take any of this. Um, it was jewellery, so any of this jewellery out of the, the centre. And so we just showed that from the car park, we could sit, and we did a wireless network um, attack, and we managed to get onto their network. From there, we managed to compromise the door access system again. So it's another physical access system. But this time it was got onto the computer that was allowed to print badges. And we managed to print an access badge, which then ended up at reception. So we were able to go to reception, say we're here, collect our badge. Got the badge, walked in, walked through the metal detectors and um, packaged up 
some of this jewellery into a box and then just put it in the mail. And it got sent out the same way as it would do normally. So yeah, we didn't walk out through their metal detectors with the package. We wow. used mm. the things that were already in place. We used the fact it was set up to FedEx these, these shipments out to people and, and got it sent, sent away. And we were sitting there having the debrief and the, the, guy, the guy that was the, the security um, person in charge, he kind of tongue-in-cheek when we were describing what we'd done. We'd said we'd sat in the car park and we'd been able to compromise the wireless network. We sat there for like 15 minutes and it was old technology, so we, it didn't take too long to get in. And he said they were in a not a very nice area of in the outskirts of Manchester. And he said that I don't think you'll be able to sit properly for 15 minutes in our car park before someone coming along and trying to nick your laptop. <laughs> so their defence was a physical defence using the, the criminals just rely on the local local, area. You can just rely on the, on the locals to, to nick, nick your stuff. Yeah. yeah. Crikey. So just, just to sort of close it up now, because I know we've been going on for a while... Um, is is who who's who in the customer who in the organisation or the customer would go? This is this is what I need. Or who would if if somebody listening to this podcast goes, wow, I think we need this. Who who is the person to go to? I think uh, well, who is a, the person in the client's organisation yeah. would generally be. I think IT managers they kind of they're thinking about security. People on the security team that think this is probably something that they they want to do. Um, we normally see this come from CISOs, so it's normally the the the, what CISO the information CISO security mean. officer yeah. Yeah. Um, and they would go and try and use this to, to get more funding so that was, that was kind of the, the story we told about before where they gone in and got the bad report and then utilises that to get more money from the board so that's, that's kind of one of the use cases for this and it, it comes from the security team knowing that they're in a in a state and they want to verify if that state if they're better than where they thought they were or worse than yeah. they thought they were there, um, there's there's other people. It's right, regulation, and then if it's regulation, it's going to come in through some some other point into that organisation. But I think there's there's a lot of things that we can do, roaming uh, from the this full scale red team where we set up a scenario like trying to transfer money out of their Swift system, all the way from the internet, um, and we can do that as a whole scenario. That's probably quite expensive, and you're going to need a lot of buy in from people within that organisation. It could be that we just do reduce the scale of it, so the scope of what we're trying to achieve, which is more like a pen test, but with, with specific scenarios set up. And that might be something that the, the IT team or just someone lower down in the security team that's got a budget to spend on um, things like this might be able to do because there's a lot less impact and a lot less um, things that are being touched in terms of the, the attack yeah. surface. So they can do it for themselves without having to go all the way up to the board to get budget. So if a customer wants to, or somebody listening to this wants to get, wants to get in contact with Cisco and actually do something about this. What, 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 what did, where did they go? Yeah. Cisco site, there's uh, security advisory services. So there's, there's pages in there that talk about the services um, that we've got on offer. Um, we've got some blog posts and things that talk about some of the interesting, um, uh, I wouldn't say success stories, but that's probably the wrong word to use. Talk about some of the techniques that we're using and some of the interesting things that we find. Um, it's rather than reading those out, it's probably easier if we we write them down and people that are reading. Yeah, yeah we can we can put it on the um, we'll put it on notes. the um, on the blog link. Yeah, good idea. Okay, all right then. Uh, thanks, guys. Richard, Gareth, thanks for, thanks for coming on again. Um, it's brilliant, really informative, and I love the the, the war stories are the best ever. You mean because they're just real real life examples of where. Um, how vulnerable uh, organizations and customers are and how what we can do to help. So thanks very much for coming on. Uh, cheers, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, uh, visiting exec producer Ant. <laughs>
always a pleasure never a chore uh, alright thanks very much for listening and if you want to contact the podcast you can uh, go on LinkedIn you can go on Twitter uh, at Justin Woolen, or you can email me at justin.woolen at cisco.com two O's but now thanks very much for listening Thank you.